This is Fractal Marketing, the podcast for innovative entrepreneurs taking their product to market. Each show, we take an outside look at one company's marketing and discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, over to your host, Jared Doyle. So on today's episode, I'm lucky to welcome Ian Calvert to join me to discuss the brand that he's chosen, which is Allbirds. Ian, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Gerald. Good to be here. And I good opportunity to talk about some e-commerce and particularly direct-to-consumer e-commerce as well. I'll, I can talk about it all day long. Fantastic. Well, we'll try to condense a day's worth of conversation into half an hour, so we'll talk quickly. So for the background, Ian and I met as we were both I think we were really running up uh, competing Brisbane digital agencies at one point there. I was at iProspect, Ian was at Reload Media. And, you know, it's kind of like friendly competition, right? There's plenty of business to go around. So we kind of launched from a mutual respect. And then I think after we were both leaving or nearabouts leaving our agency roles, we caught up for a beer and we've kind of, well, at least from my side, I've, I've respected Ian's work ever since and especially the work he does around e-commerce. So we're kind of, I'm really lucky and I'm really <laughs> excited for you guys because the amount of e-commerce knowledge that Ian's got is fantastic. And then you apply onto that all the years of experience of digital marketing experience. We should be in for a bit of a treat. So Thank you so much for joining Ian. Yeah. Oh, thank you for the intro. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I like to refer to it as the Brisbane Village in a very positive way. As you can probably tell, I'm not originally from Australia, although I was adopted in 2017. I love Brisbane, loved working there. Um, cannot wait to wait to come back. But yeah, I think we've had some really interesting conversations over beers and it's kind of good to share some of these with some other people. Fantastic. So the brand we've picked to go through is Allbirds, which is exciting for me because I'm recording it literally wearing Allbirds. So I am a fan of the brand. I've obviously been bought into their ideas. And what we're going to do is we're going to just talk a bit about Allbirds, the brand, the e-commerce brand, how they've gone direct to consumer, the marketing, what we love, what we don't love. Maybe we're going to agree on everything. Maybe we're not. But the idea is that Ian and I are going to sort of look at this and say, look, this is what we think Allbirds have done well. This is how they've been successful. Now, if you don't know Allbirds, my interpretation of Allbirds is that they are a direct-to-consumer shoe brand. So they came into a super competitive market shoes, right? They're up against Adidas, Nike, all these huge brands. And on the face of it, if someone approached me and said, hey, Jared, we want to launch a shoe brand online. Would you like to be part of it? I'd say no and good luck. (laughs) So it's an impressive story. And I think a lot of that story comes back to, you know, right from their origins. So for me, I think it's important that we cover the origin of all birds because I think without their origin story, I think they wouldn't get to where they are. And so for me, when people talk about all birds or when I present all birds, I sort of talk about them being a New Zealand. I thought I talk about the New Zealand part first. I talk about New Zealand wool. I talk about it being a startup. I talk about how they did a crowdfunding campaign raised a few hundred thousand dollars, sold out with all the product they could get. and But then they kind of moved to San Francisco and, you know, their comfortable shoes. I kind of describe them as being like Uggs, like fashionable Uggs, but fashionable with a air quote that you can't see on a podcast. Uh, I don't know, Ian, how do you sort of, if someone asks you or you want to describe Allbirds, how do you describe the brand to people? Well, it depends who I'd be describing it to. If I, I mean, if we're, we're talking to sort of like people that are potentially interested in setting up e-commerce businesses, particularly direct to consumer. I would describe it as one of the best examples of a direct to consumer e-commerce business because it's purely about the product and the product itself does a lot of the marketing for them. 
they obviously did crowdfunding to basically test the market, see if people are interested in it, which is a great way to generate all the cash because the challenge of a direct-to-consumer business or an e-commerce business that's selling inventory is that you have to buy the inventory before you can then sell it. It's not like a SaaS product or anything like that. But then as far as the kind of message goes, yeah, I mean, it's all about the product and and the material and the material is you know based around sort of like wool and it's the origin stories in New Zealand and when people think of New Zealand they think of sheep they think of wool so yeah I think they've it's a really good starting place and that's how people know it and as you mentioned it's sort of it's all about comfort it's really the shoes are incredibly comfortable and that's what they sell on I've got a few opinions on that because I bought a pair myself but we'll, we'll kind of get onto that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, the reason I describe them as Uggs is because you know, they're not supportive. You know, they're not they're not the kind of shoes where you're going to keep your arch high. You don't want to go for long walks, which I've found interesting as they've branched out into trying to produce, or maybe they ha- they have produced runners, as they're calling them. You know, they're trying to get shoes you go out and have a run with. I'm dubious about that. I, I feel like, so I think about some of their deviations from their core. So they started with wool and then they moved into eucalyptus. And I liked the fact they went to eucalyptus because I think it meant that all birds weren't about wool anymore as much they were about sustainable and sustainable products that they're building their shoes with. But then they moved into kind of like they're trying to move into performance shoes. And look, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I feel like that's an overreach because anyone who's worn all birds, yeah, your feet swap around in them a bit. They're not they're not a super tight fit. I don't know. Do you feel like they're overreaching or do you think they're going to be successful with a sports shoe? I don't know, to be honest, but it's a natural progression for them, right? Because all these businesses want to keep growing. And essentially, you either grow by selling in different regions, which is what they're doing, and then you also expand the product range. And it can get to a point where you expand and you get away from the core message. For me, the core message is they're really comfortable, simple, straightforward shoes that pretty much anybody can wear. It's not a case of... They're pure runners that you try and run marathons in them or they're not skate shoes or they're not anything like that. It's kind of like a good all-round shoe that I think of, I suppose a lot of people in our industry would be quite happy wearing sort of like to the office or what have you. So, uh, yeah, yet to be seen. At the risk of kind of bagging on them at first and bearing my, I'm a massive fan of these guys because I think they do so many things so well. They're focused on the product it's simple it's a clear message it's a really good example of like a how to use shopify which we can get onto in a bit i was completely bought in me and my wife bought some i think it's about a month ago and we're currently in melbourne lockdown it's winter we get to go out for one hour a day it's normally raining it is today so we opted for the waterproof ones i forget the the name of them Really excited about both getting them. In fact, I said to my wife I was going to order them. She's normally the online shopper. And she said, oh, I want to get a pair as well. So we both ordered some. They turn up, you know, nice unpackaging, sort of like experience and all that stuff. Put them on like, oh, this is great. And at the time, I was able to walk to my co-working space. And my co-working space is about half an hour's walk. So I've been sold on these are the most comfortable shoes ever. I put them on. These are the full wool ones. And I walked to my co-working space and about halfway through, I was like, I'm in a lot of trouble here. I have generated one of the largest blisters on my heel possible. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was really weird, actually. So I thought that, oh, maybe I should have kind of worn them in. Maybe it's because they're the outdoor ones that are 
wool and they're kind of a bit more sort of like scratchier or what have you. I, I was actually, I'm that bought into the brand that I'm going to try another pair that are not the waterproof ones and they're sort of like the, the general product that they've got because they do have this incredibly good reputation and it makes sense to me. I think that's probably testament how good they are at branding. I've had a bad mm. experience. I'm willing to go back and sort of like try them again. And I'm thinking that it's me. Whereas if I didn't understand their brand and their brand is driven from their product, that I would have just written off and gone, no. I mean, so much so that I've chosen to talk about it as a particular sort of like brand on this podcast. Yeah. So again, I was totally bought into the brand and I bought the wool ones and then I bought the eucalyptus ones because I was intrigued at how that happened. And they, they're my favorite. They're the ones I've got at the moment. I've got like these bright maroon eucalyptus shoes. And, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then I even bought the, the thongs or the flip flops, which have the sea foam base and like they're super comfortable. Although I do get. Some people do point out the fact that I'm wearing like $75 thongs, which is probably a bit over the top. But yeah, so I bought in and I, I was trying to prepare for this chat and I thought, well, why did I buy in? Why why was I so aligned to the brand? And I thought, is it the ethical side of it? You know, I'm a, I'm a recently turned vegetarian, which I think aligns really well, right? So all birds aren't vegan ready, right? They're not super ethical, they're, but they're more ethical than most, mm-hmm. um, which I think in its own right is an interesting place, right? You've boxed yourself into a, in a middle position. It's not all performance. It's a bit ethical, but it's not all the way ethical. But I thought, no, it's not that because I bought them well before I start, stopped eating meat and, and became a bit more worldly <laughs> in my views. So I think it was because of the influence of the tech scene and I thought about it and went, well, they picked up from New Zealand and they moved to San Francisco, you know, and that's like the heart of tech land. And I wondered how much that indirectly influenced people like you and I, because all of a sudden we're seeing venture capitalists and startup founders. And in a weird way, they kind of created influence by basing themselves in San Francisco. Do you, do you feel like that's maybe what helped buy you into the brand? 100%. And it's actually only now you saying that, that I think about where I first heard about them. Uh, so on my journey, I, uh, I ended up working for a Bulgarian tech company for, for 12 months. As we That's, all do. As we all do. Classic, classic situation. That's one for another one. But one of the people that I worked with there that was in charge of the brand for this tech business, like just, you know, when you get somebody that really understands brand at a very kind of visceral level, they, we were looking for, to give away products at some events that we did. We, we'd sponsor, we'd sponsor massive WordPress conferences. And we always wanted to give away the latest thing. And this person came to me and said, oh, have you seen these Allbird shoes? They're really comfortable and all these things. And we, and at the time, I was trying to get speed across because it was like a hosting company. I was like, oh, you know, it'd be better if it was high-performance sort of like shoes. But I remember them showing me. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I've never come across those. And this would have been, this would have been 2017. And I think it all blew up from about 2018. That seems to be when sort of most of the press and stuff was kind of like happening for them. And I think that always really stuck with me because the person that told me about it, I knew was very in tune with the latest things that were happening. And actually, I think that's probably where it came from. It's probably come from, I wonder if they started actually saying, hey, let's go after these tech people. That just kind of naturally happened. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's kind of like by basing yourself somewhere and you think about who controls the narrative on the internet and it's, you know, the, the, the geeks will inherit the world. You know, th- this is the place, the, the one place you think about it, you've got 
so many tech companies, so much noise based out of Silicon Valley and the influence they have. And you just go, well, yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense. It's it's the the tech equivalent of like going to Hollywood and you, know, you sort of go, well, that's where it became. And, you know, these days, I mean, I, I caught up with, um, I went on a Christmas retreat with a client of mine, Biteable down in Hobart. And as the VCs turned up, they had their all birds on, you know, and it just- they, There you go. It was, and it was such a uniform too, because not only did they had the Allbirds, but they had the um, Patagonia jackets as well. I was just well. about just, to say, <laughs> yeah, it's like did they have a Patagonia sort of like body warmer, and it's like it's like a VC uniform, isn't it? Yeah, and so you know, you kind of go, well, when you look, if you've got a New Zealand founders, you get some money. It had to have been a conscious decision, you know. It had to have been a conscious because why would you go to one of the most expensive cities to employ people to pay rent and overheads? So look, I guess for me. You know, we've covered two things here. One is, look, they are on point with their brand. Like, they keep it so it's ethical. They're a B Corp. They spoke about, they speak about sustainable. So, even though they started with wool, they moved into eucalyptus-made trees. They've got sea foam. Everything about that kind of makes sense. And then they seem to rally it around a core influencer city and an industry, a startup industry. I mean, they're a clothing brand. They shouldn't have been in the tech industry, but- they seem to have managed to do that. And that's given them, in my mind, as well as the back of a um, good crowdfunding campaign, it's given them the ability to sort of launch and be a bit more, I guess, true to the brand and not so much about direct marketing, you know? So that I don't, when I look at them online, I don't see them out there as a really aggressive D2C brand who's up there and competing. I see them as carving out their own space. 100%. Yeah. I, so, you know, I think that's an interesting space and I'm keen to sort of delve into that, like the D to C part of it. You know, how do you, because, you know, the natural path would be produce it and stick it in shelves, like stick it in stores. So, I mean, if you look back at their journey, what do you think has been the key elements of being able to stay D to C? Oh, I, I think, and the reason I picked these guys is that the business model for me is the future of retail. So one of my first real jobs in, in air brackets is, um, air coach, should I say, was working in a retail business. And I actually still work with them today. And they, uh, you learn the fundamentals of good retail there, which is essentially high gross margin, as in the percentage of money that you make after you've paid for the product. And businesses or manufacturers have this ability to sell directly to customers, not having to sell to retailers and take a wholesale margin because you've got systems like Shopify or to some extent WooCommerce, I guess, big commerce and et cetera and stuff where it's now easy to set up these stores and sell direct. We were promised this 10 years ago when you said, oh, it's easy to set up a website and, you know, it's not right. Whereas something like Shopify is incredibly easy. So these brands can now sell direct. And the beauty about selling directly to customers, and I'm pretty, uh, they do sell to some retailers, don't they? I'm trying to think if I've seen them in stores or not. I can't think. I know they've done pop-ups. I know they've done sort of specialist stores, so they might have popped into you know a Macy's and done an event or something. But I'm not sure. Yeah. That but they essentially. Do. It would be like a branding exercise. And this is what I love. It kind of gets them more exposure. But by them selling direct, what happens is they get to the gross margin stays high. If your gross margin is high, like if you can score a gross margin of over 40%, ideally 50% plus, you've got a lot of money to play with to do everything else and do everything really, really well. So you also control the price because the problem is if you make a load of products and then you sell it to a retailer, 
good retailers have to turn that stock quickly. If it's not selling, they discount the product. If they discount the product, then you can't sell it for the same price. So then your gross margin drops. So it always comes back to this gross margin thing because I'm personally a massive fan of cash flow positive businesses. It for me, that's the way forward. Cash is king. You know, I know you get all the valuations and all that sort of like business, but that's that for me is a very good fundamental business. So direct to consumer allows these businesses to then go and do that. Now, yeah, so I suppose that's within the business model. So I really appreciate the business model. I love strong brands that are D to C and that they keep things really, really simple basically. Like there's not a lot of pages on the site. They obviously they run lots of ads but i mean they don't advertise on their brand name which i think is good yeah it's just i, I couldn't sing their praises more from their from the, the way that they have structured the business from what we can see from the outside yeah you mentioned that they're you know they're on shopify a couple of things it used to be or at least my perception was that some of these ready-made platforms e-commerce platforms had a bit of stigma it was kind of like if you wanted to be serious you wouldn't go on shopify but I mean, Allbirds turn over an awful lot. I don't, I don't know if it's public how much money they turn over, but it's significant. You know, what's your feeling on Shopify now as a, as a scaled solution? And, and, and where does it top out? Like, is there a point where it kind of tops out or is it kind of almost infinite now? Well, I think from my research, they're one of the biggest on Shopify. I'm sure one of the Jenners is doing sort of like more with their cosmetics or what have you. But the thing about Shopify is... What they have done is they have delivered the expectation of every non-technical business founder about being able to do e-commerce, as in set up a store and sell online, which is what we were really promised years and years ago. It's like, it's really easy, you know, just install this and off you go. And, and, and we all know that is not the case most of the time. Most of the time within e-commerce business, you would need heavy support from either an agency or you'd have an in-house web developer and, and all of these bits and pieces that I remember 10 years ago working with this retailer in the UK and we wanted to add filters to a collection page or a category page and the platform that we were on came back and said okay cool that's going to be £10,000 and I was like excuse me what now and for a small Queensland business that's doing a couple of million online we put in filters on Shopify and I think it cost us like $300. So what they've done is they have simplified the process of selling online so that these brands can focus on the marketing, the product and the customer service. They just get rid of everything else it, because Shopify has got that covered. Like for example, working with a UK client last night, the, they couldn't access Shopify. So a part of it had gone down and they're used to working with a hosted solution. So they're like, oh my God, we need to talk to somebody. We need to do this. Like, do not worry. There is literally hundreds of people running around in Canada right now going, oh my God, we need to sort this. And then it comes back online, you know, an hour later, five minutes later, sort of like whatever it is, because they've got the tech side covered. And that's what allows these D2C brands like Allbirds to just get on with making really good product, marketing it really well, and not having to worry about the scale and, and stuff like that. To answer the question, how big can they get? I mean, there's businesses doing hundreds of millions of dollars through Shopify stores. Right. I can't sort of like name names. So for me, it's if you do not, if your site doesn't need to be incredibly complicated, like, Basically, I mean, 
shoe retailers they're selling boxes mm. that's that's pretty much all they're sort of like doing it's set up to do that if you need to do something more complicated and you want a lot more control then that's when you do something like a magento or like a, a woocommerce as far as what the limit is I've, i mean i i don't know i i mean Shopify are pretty good at touting the stats of how many transactions they do in a second and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't see a limit for those. I, I, I normally try and put a client on Shopify unless they have very specific technical requirements and then you do a Magento or a Woo. Right. Okay. So just getting back to sort of the marketing of all birds, we, we spoke a little bit about their, their search and a few things. I, I um, in research, discovered I didn't know they had this an affiliate program. And so looking at their backlinks, they get a lot and, and – you know, I think they might have started with share of sale, but they're on AWID now. So, you know, big shopping affiliate network that we'd know out of the UK, more more so than in Australia. But, you know, you can look at that and I think they give 15 or 17% commission. When it comes to affiliate programs, so I don't know how big their affiliate program is, but I think looking at their backlink profile, so up to 40% of their backlinks have an affiliate link in it. Wow. Have you seen affiliate programs? Do you see them as being essential? How do you think it would have played out for all birds? A couple of observations from me is they've got what I like on an e-commerce. They've got some really clear guidelines. So they don't allow coupons. They don't allow cashback. They don't allow brand bidding. These are some of the key elements. And these are maybe some, some sometimes these are sucker moves for e-commerce sites. So all birds either learned or they came into it prepared not to allow that kind of stuff. But I'm keen to get your experiences, Ian. Like, you know, with affiliate programs and e-commerce, do you like it? Do you think it's going to be important to all birds? Is it something that you expect at some point they might just can? Because, you know, plenty of e-commerce brands have just given up on affiliate altogether. I plus I love affiliate marketing and it depends on the individual brand if it works well for them. I haven't seen that much of it in Australia, to be honest. Um, I know some of the bigger fashion retailers do it. Used to do quite a bit of it in the UK. But I would like to think based on all the other actions that these guys have taken they've gone into this with their eyes wide open and they can offer the affiliate margin also i like that you went through all their backlink profile you're such an seo (laughs) they because they've got those high gross margins they can afford to pay the higher margins like the 15 to 17 percent of the sale because they've got lots to play with. And essentially what smart e-commerce businesses do is they go, okay, so our cost to acquire a customer through a platform like Google Shopping or Facebook or Instagram is X. And if we can, let's say it's $20 per shoe or, or what have you, or pair of shoes. If we can set that lower with affiliate marketing, we can put more money into that and we're only paying for performance. So whereas most of the time on Facebook, you're paying for the impressions, whereas affiliates, you're basically, you've got commission only salespeople. And I love the fact that they put those restrictions in, say, okay, you can't bring on the brand name, etc. They are helping build, those affiliates are helping build the brand because essentially what they're saying is we want people to blog about these, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what their profile says. It's all bloggers. That's it, because it's brand. It's beautiful. It's it's what they've done is, and I implore anybody that is thinking about setting up an e-commerce business or building theirs is to not copy what other people do, but to use the tools applied to their strategy. So their strategy is clearly brand. It's getting that brand message. It's getting, I want everybody to know that these are made from New Zealand wool and they're really comfortable and they look great how can we get that message out there using this tool like affiliate or what have you that's why they don't focus on seo or ppc or cpc whatever google calls it now because that's a hard message to kind of put forward i mean who searches for comfy wool shoes 
Yeah, well, so I did that. I did that because you said, <laughs> you because yeah. of course I did. SEO, you know. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I looked at all their paid search. I looked at their paid search keywords, and I was like going through and. Look, most of it's like they do a lot of brand protection, right? So they, they do look after their brand and they, they look after that because naturally people are going to be there. I was actually intrigued to see that they do bid on a couple of competitor brands as well, yeah, um, which is always. I didn't get that when I was when I was researching it, but okay, yeah. Yeah, not many, but and, and not huge brands. I just kind of go back and, and, and have a look. But, you know, so a lot of it was Allbirds, you know, as you'd expect. But then yeah, there's not much. So they went sort of like travel flats and teal flats and. They do actually bid on running shoes, which I, you know, and that's, that's the bit where I'm like, that's interesting. Cause that's like, like the sheer number of searches for running shoes globally is nuts. It's like, oh, whatever it is, it's like 14 million searches a month. Like it's just, oh, is it million or is it billion? It, it, it's a lot. <laughs> so I would say that they would be getting to the point where they are using broad search terms for branding. Yeah. And I, I that's what I started to realize too. So when I looked at their ad copy, it was really interesting, and I think you're exactly right because you look at their ad copy, and it, their ad copy is not, you know, the best running shoes. They're wearing the most comfortable shoes, so they're 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 putting all birds out there, almost valuing the impression as much as the click, which I've never done as a strategy, especially for e-commerce, but. I do wonder if they're VP of marketing because they're based in Canada, so they're going to use VP in a title almost certainly. <laughs> it's an anomaly that I never quite, never, I've never quite understood the, the no, need to be a title, vice president. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's assume there's a VP of marketing at Allbirds. I'm sure there is, and um, I do wonder whether they value the branding and therefore actually rather than. Yeah. Doing the e-commerce, so so we've both run lots of AdWords campaigns. You, you, I don't know who's done more, but we've, we've spent millions and millions doing it. And we, you know, dynamically insert keywords. We're very much about matching the search phrase to the ad copy and and driving that click and getting the click through rate as low as possible and getting great landing page scores. I don't think all birds are doing that. I think they're paying a big premium and probably losing money to get and to just get some kind of branding for people who are in market. Completely agree. Absolutely agree. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. And because they're now at the stage that they are, the size that they are, they just want to continue that brand message. And you think about it, it, it lines up with everything else that they're doing, the way they're using affiliate marketing, the way, the, the way they've got the messaging, the way that they do PR, is they've now got to a stage where they would literally have a brand campaign on Google Ads for things like running shoes and stuff like that. So for them, that works. Did we work out what revenue they're doing? They must be doing like 100 mil at least, a couple of hundred oh, mil, I'd say. It's got to be easy. Well, they're valued at, what, $1.7 billion or some crazy some crazy San Francisco valuation. Maybe that's the other reason they moved to San Francisco was to get a tech valuation on a, on a e-commerce brand. Well, yeah. but So <laughs> the really important thing, though, is that most people listening to this are probably not running like a, a multiple hundreds of million dollar e-commerce yeah. business. And the worst thing that you can do is go and start advertising on the generic term, like mm. running shoes. Well, let's say, let's say you come up with the next DTC brand that is all about dresses and you have a very unique selling point. There's a great story. You would not start off running ads on dresses because the search term for dresses is just so broad that it wouldn't really affect. Whereas you start off with doing very specific things. So, so I, I looked at that. I went back and found some posts and some people looking at it and they were really bidding brand. Yep. You got to have a brand search campaign, protect your brand. And then they went for comfy shoes or comfortable shoes and all derivatives of that and wool. 
and that was it. They basically went. I can imagine their campaign had they had two campaigns, like a few ad groups, but it would have been comfortable shoes, brand shoes, and wool shoes, and that was kind of what they did. And they owned that market. They owned it for, they sort of focused on paid search SEO, none of the other generic stuff. So when they were starting off and margins would have been tight and money would have been, you know, something they looked after and cash flow. Yeah. They just went super specific and they avoided all the high value or high volume terms completely. And I would have a bet that it would be that, that AdWords stuff or Google ads, I'll never get over that, will be a very small percentage of their ad spend. Because that wouldn't have been driving it. What was driving it was the, that Kickstarter campaign where people are aware of that message spreading. And because I've seen this with loads of DTC brands, is that it, the they essentially sometimes run it on their their brand name, but the individual product doesn't tend to convert that well. Whereas running on Facebook and Instagram, because you're putting that message and that story out, tends to work a lot better. So that's that's what I do with um, the DTC brands, where it's just a pure where they're focusing on the brand and it's a product that people don't necessarily search for and know about. It's that push with Instagram and Facebook to build email lists, to then send out emails and, and stuff like that. And again, it's, I suppose that's the, that's the theme really, isn't it? For this discussion is that there's so many tools that you can use within marketing. It's how you use them and does it match your individual strategy? So should you use affiliate marketing? Well, how does it match your strategy of getting the brand message out there? Yeah. And I think, yeah, exactly right. It wasn't about, you know, just driving more sales. They made sure it was on brand. And to that point, we're talking about tools. Um, so I went back and looked at my, the emails that Allbird sent me when I made the transactions and uh, I was intrigued to find, first of all, I loved the copy in the emails. Like it was fun. There was a dancing sheep. I was all on board. The sheep <laughs> then was packing my shoes for me, but I was intrigued from a technical point of view to see they were using MailChimp and a bit like Shopify. Look, most clients that I work with are like, oh, we're on MailChimp, but we're going to get something better soon, as soon as we're ready for it. And I think, well, all birds seem to be making MailChimp work. And at the end of the day, email is just sending email, right? The actual element of it's not too hard. So I do wonder sometimes whether e-commerce sites get themselves a little bit twisted up in technology and SaaS technology. And, you know, and I look, I, I love, I love a good email platform, right? But Allbirds are using MailChimp. To you, does that resonate? Like, do people over-engineer the technical side of their marketing and not enough on the creative oh, side? All the time. We're buggers for it because, I mean, what happens is if you you focus on the thing that you know. So if you're a technical marketer, you get really excited about, you know, backlink profile for SEO or the email marketing platform that you're using and stuff like this and and all these kind of little bits and pieces. And there are lots of examples where MailChimp doesn't work and it doesn't have a good delivery rate and all of these other bits and pieces. But the reality is, is that because they have got a good product and a good brand, they've done the hard work. So what happens is, is with any technology, it just amplifies what's already there. So it's amplifying the brand. So we apply that to MailChimp. The main concern most people have with MailChimp, and they don't know it's the main concern, is that their open rate based on the delivery rate. So the way these email platforms work is that the more people that open your emails, the more likely your email is to get past a spam filter. Because essentially, they don't have this discussion, but we know it happens. They will put you in like a, a good group, as in you're a trusted sender, so you're more likely to get past. Whereas because there's a free option of MailChimp. Everybody goes, let's use MailChimp and spam everybody. I've, I've bought this list from somewhere. I don't know where they buy them from because, you know, that's 
don't know if it's illegal, but it's definitely, you're not meant to do it. I don't think you could go to jail for it, but you could probably get fined. It's super dark grey. It's not quite <laughs> black, but it's a very dark shade of grey. <laughs> That's right. I, I have people ask, yeah. I have people ask me this all the time. Can we buy a list and then email people because we don't want to build it because that's really hard. You're like, no, do the hard work. So what happens is because people like that brand, they're more likely to open the email. So their delivery rate is going to be higher. And because it's a high profile client, MailChimp probably then look after them and make sure that they really work on the deliverability. So then it would work for them because you know MailChimp has got some great features within there. It's like with any tool, it's, it's how you use it and they just amplify what's already there. If you do not spend time developing the product, the brand message, and you spend all your time picking the tech stack and what platform you're going to go on and all these bits and pieces, you basically miss the point. It's really interesting. There's some guys that I know quite well that work at Shopify. And again, it was kind of a conversation like this. It's sort of, what do you think the common thing is of these brands that do really, really well? And it was unanimous. It was really good product. It's everything gets driven from that. Because it's when people just pick a random product and then they do shiny ad copy promising the world and then it doesn't sort of like deliver, then then it just falls flat, basically. So, yeah, it, it does not surprise me that they're using MailChimp and so I'm like, quite happy to, to use MailChimp. Which, you know, I think is probably the theme of what we've come away with looking at Allbirds is actually your tech stack doesn't have to be that adventurous. You quit Shopify, you stick MailChimp on, you run some Google ads like Facebook, Instagram. It's all there. It's all off the shelf. I don't think what they do is that sophisticated. I'm not looking at it thinking they've got super slick digital marketing tactics, but they've got a really clear brand proposition, really clear messaging, a good product, good margins. I mean, if they're giving affiliates 17.5%, you've got to assume they've got 50, 60% margins in what they're doing. And having paid for, you know, $75 (laughs) Allbirds thongs, there's probably a really good margin in there. So I guess that's the takeaway for someone listening to this who's running an e-commerce store is to, to maybe stop fixating on technology and tactics and just get back to core marketing because these days the tech stack's being standardized you know it's being democratized it's all working for you actually it's more about your your brand position and your product if you get that right you're gonna you're gonna get there which is look it's a good thing right it's almost like you know you and i have probably made our careers doing the tactical technical stuff for people that's what they've always employed us to do i want the best tricks in i want you to increase our you reduce our cpc and increase our click-through rates like that's you know you sell that kind of stuff right but now it's good for us as we're getting older we get to move into the more brand and, and fun side of it so I guess that yeah. for me, that's the theme that I've taken away. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I, I just, I know we're probably a bit short on time, but there's probably something that I want to add that essentially is, I think it's more discovering that as you go through all of these techniques and stuff like that, that you actually really, it always comes back to that. And I always use this term of sort of, if somebody comes to you with a kind of a, a, a rubbish product, is that, you know, I can't polish a turd, but I can roll it in glitter. <laughs> And so uh, why can, can I put can I put that in a big banner when I promote this podcast? That's gonna yeah. be a picture of your face with that quote underneath it. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Yeah, and just one thing that I would add is that, you know, is and we can't see what their conversion rate is, but lots of people will come to me and say we've got really low conversion rate and da da da. And it, a lot of time it comes back to the product and you basically say you basically have to tell them they've got an ugly baby. And you say, Why would anybody buy this product from you apart from the fact you're selling it? 
and a lot of the time that it, you know it's heartbreaking it's because you've spent a lot of time sort of like doing it but it's the question that needs to be asked sometimes and that is the summary isn't it that's the good product good branding everything else then becomes easy and sort of like flows from it and that's that's where you focus Love it. So, Ian, I know you're working on a new business, that uh, an educational e-commerce business. Can you give us the quick rundown of what that is and, and who it would appeal to? Absolutely. So, I'm a, it's just me as a, an independent consultant. So, I like to think I call myself a consultant that implements. So, I work with a handful of direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands where I'll help them build the strategy, but I'll also do the hands-on stuff like running ads, ordering stock, making changes to websites and stuff like that. But that means I can only work with a handful at a time. So I basically have five clients on my books. I get approached a lot about, oh, can you help us build this brand? And basically I've made the conscious decision that to keep the quality of work high, I have to limit the amount of people. But then as like lots of people are approaching me and I genuinely want to help Australian e-commerce businesses grow because I see there's a great opportunity. So basically came up with the idea of Boom e-commerce, which is an e-commerce training business. Uh, so it gives out free e-commerce tips. And then there's also a course that we're working on that will basically break down the five main areas that people need to work on with direct-to-consumer e-commerce businesses. One of those being ads, but it's not just ads. It's about the brand. It's about the product, it's about the stock control to ultimately have more cash in the bank at the end of the month. Yeah, so you can find more about it at boomecommerce.com.au and get Correct. some free tips there. I'll put a link in the show notes, as they say in the classic podcast, and you can go in there, you can give Ian your email address. And what mail platform will they be getting an email responder from if they put their email into the website? Uh, it will be active campaign. I did start on Mailchimp, but I got really annoyed with how complicated it was to just format some stuff, and I needed to do more some more complicated sort of like stuff. So, uh, so yeah. But in theory, you know, if the product's good, I could still use Mailchimp. But <laughs> love it, fantastic, Ian. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that'll really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.